Well, how are we doing this morning, guys? We good? All right, all right. We're all in the happy mood because we're all Buckeyes fans. Yeah, that's right. We took care of Penn State yesterday. So that somehow is going to get worked in this message later. I don't know how, but we're Buckeyes fans, so it's okay. We can have fun, right? All right, well, hey, we, we've got a lot to cover, so we're going to jump right in this thing. So first, last week, if you guys were here, we were in First Samuel 25. Uh, we talked about, again, the life of David, uh, focused in on his plans, if you want to say, with Nabal and then Abigail. If you guys remember, we focused on how God calls us, 1 Peter 3, 9, to not think like the world, live like the world. And uh, David, unfortunately, in that moment was thinking worldly and was wanting to get uh, to repay back evil for evil with somebody he didn't even like, Nabal, which we call, again, getting revenge. And we focused on that last week. And, and remember, he's going down to kill not, not just Nabal, but all of his all of his, his workers, his shepherds. And as he's on his way down that mountain, God sends a lady by the name of Abigail to go and she intervenes and she stops him in his tracks. And she, in an evil situation, responds, as we all should respond as believers, with good. And stops David from doing that. Let's, and David kind of melts under that and, and you know, repents of it and moves on. And God takes care of Nabal. He strikes him dead. And God gives Abigail to David to become, again, his wife. And so that's what we looked at last week. This week, we're going to jump right back in at chapter 26. We're going to go all the way through chapter 30, uh, and, and then we'll, we'll pick up from there next week, all right? So jumping right into this thing, and we're going to skim over a lot. I've got to cover like four chapters here. And so we're just going to skim over a lot, and we're mainly going to be focused in chapter 30, a little bit of 29 as well, okay, with our story. So chapter 26, this is what's happened. David, again, has the, I want to call it the opportunity, the chance to take out Saul. Now remember, he's already let him go one time. Um, he could have killed him in the cave, cut his robe off at the end, but, but didn't. Now he has another opportunity with one of his, one of his mighty men. Um, very, easy, very easily could have killed Saul while he was sleeping. But again, he chooses not to touch God's anointed. Let's God take care of that and moves on. Now, the end of chapter 26, we have the last recorded thing that David says to Saul, really their last interaction, the very last thing that he says, if you guys want to check it out in chapter 26, it's in verse 24. It says, he, he says this, his last, what are his last words to Saul, this guy that's trying to kill him? May the Lord value my life and deliver me from all danger. What he's saying there is he's saying, Saul, you've tried to kill me. You've tried to pursue me. My hope is in God. He's saying, my, my protection and my, my salvation, what I'm, what I'm believing can keep me from being killed by you is God. And I, I would say that's, that's an awesome, powerful thing. So that's the last thing that Saul hears from David, last thing that we have here. And then we move on from chapter 26 to the end. We go to chapter 27 and verse number one. And David, he's got a different tone. David said to himself, one of these days, I'm going to be swept away by Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape immediately, ready, check this line out, to the land of the Philistines. That's big. We'll come back to that. Then Saul, he will give up searching for me everywhere in Israel, and I'll escape from him. David, he's exhausted at running from Saul. Now, Verse number 24, chapter 26, not sure what happened there, but uh, things have changed. 
He's exhausted at running from Saul. And so he does what a lot of us do when we're exhausted. When we're exhausted, we want to quit. And that's exactly what he does here. He quits and he joins forces with, and he finds security for, and this is insane, but he finds security in the company of the enemies of God, the Philistines. And remember, I mean, let's go back to one of the, the most famous story in the life of David. We talked about it a few weeks ago, but David and Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine, right? So he, now he's linking arms. He's hanging out with them, doing life with them. He's getting protection, getting strength from them. And we'll get to walk through that today. David's faith in God, it gave in to his fear of Saul. And back in chapter 22, verse number four, the prophet Gad actually came to David and said, hey, you need to go to Judah and you need to remain there and stay there. And so we would say this, and he obviously doesn't here. We would say this, first of all, okay, he doesn't trust in God to keep him safe from Saul. But then secondly, he directly disobeys God's word to him. Through the prophet Gad, God said, go stay in, in Judah. And he runs from that. What we're going to find out today is that when we as believers, if we choose not to trust in God, it carries some consequences. We would say this was an unwise decision in a weak moment that, again, he's exhausted, running from Saul, but he sins here. Now, to get the land of the Philistines and where he's staying, David has to travel about 25 miles up to Gath. And so, him and his guys are down here in the wilderness of Ziph. They're hanging out there. And he decides, hey, we need to, I need to get some protection for me and my guys. And so we're going to travel up to land of the Philistines, Gath. And we're going to get, we are going to get protection and help from our enemy. And so he's there and he meets the king that's there over Gath. His name is Achish. Now David and his guys, he stays with the enemies for 16 months. And he's in the land of the Philistines. He's hanging out again with this king, King Achish, that's in Gath, and we'll talk about him in a little bit. But if you'll notice, these other cities that are around have a little castle beside them. And all that that means is this, is those, those cities were the, called the royal cities. And those were where the five different Philistine kings or lords, that's where they lived. And they're hanging out there. So you got obviously Gath, Ekron, Ashdod, Eshkelon, and then Gaza. Ruling the land of the Philistines, five kings together. Now, David, again, he joins forces with Achish. And Achish kind of takes a liking to him. He likes the guy. Um, you know, he's kind of gullible as we're going to see in the story today. But uh, he likes the guy. And David makes a request of him. He says, hey, king, we've been with you for a while. Um, man, we've been sleeping in the streets in Gath and crashing on the couches and different beds. Um, I got 600 guys, they got families and stuff. Would you mind giving us a city that we could call our own, we could hang out with and there'd be, we could make our livelihood there. And so King Achish says, sure, I tell you what, I like you, you're a good dude, you help me out. And so he goes down to Ziglag and that's where he's hanging out as we kind of walk through the story this morning. Now, think about this. How far has David come, think about it. How far has David come from trusting in God and believing that God would be his protection and be his strength to now completely opposite. He's now linking arms with the enemies 
of the God of Israel, of his people, of our God. And to think this, we haven't mentioned this yet, but if you go back to chapter 27, verse number one and two, what we read, it all started with a thought in his mind. It all started with one little thought in his mind that, you know what, man, God, yeah, he's taking care of me so far. I don't think he can keep doing it though. So I'm matters in my own hands and I'm gonna link up with the enemy. See, we, we know our thoughts can deceive us like they did David. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that we should take captive every thought. I wonder how much different the story we're gonna talk about today, how much different it would be if David just would have taken every thought captive. But he doesn't, and as a result, man, bad things happen. And we kind of see that start to develop in the rest of chapter 27 and 28. So we'll go over that just really quickly. So the king gives him a town. It's Ziklag in the Bible, as you notice on the screen, it's Ziklag. David has his 600 dudes and they go to these towns that are south of Ziklag and they raid them, kill everyone, take the stuff. And one of the towns they raid is a group of people called the Amalekites. This group of people, they were enemies of Jewish people. And they were also a group of people that God had, had told through the word, hey, you guys have to, I mean, you guys got to wipe these people out because if not, what's going to happen is in a few years, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna join up with them. You're, you're going to essentially start following their gods and you're going to turn your back on the one true living God. And that's exactly what happened. They don't go in, kill everyone, and they start to turn their back on the true living God and follow these false gods. And so just throwing this out there, I don't know, is David trying to, trying, is he trying to do the right thing? He's trying to follow God here and to fulfill what the Israelites couldn't do many years ago? I don't know, is he doing what's wrong? To get that answer, you can talk to Zach afterwards, okay? It's a fun one, all right? Now, as he raids them and he sends the spoils and the goods, he sends them back to King Achish and Gath. We do know that David is definitely wrong about a few things that he does here with King Achish. First of all, he lies to King Achish and then he deceives him. He tells him that he's actually raiding his own Jewish towns, towns that are in Judah, and he's killing his own people and he's taking, stealing the goods from them and bringing them to the king. And again, I would say this, King Achish, he's a gullible dude. He's gullible, man. He can believe everything, apparently. And uh, so he starts to think, man, you know, uh, this David guy and all of his warriors says, man, wow, this guy, he's about the Philistine way, man. He's about it. He hates his own people. And when we go to battle, which David doesn't know this at this point, but we go to battle with King Saul in just a little while, I bet you anything, he'll fight for us. I mean, he's willing to kill his own people, the men and women down these towns in south of Judah, those are the people. Surely he'll fight against his own brothers of Judah in battle. See, he lied to him. Right? David had gone to these different groups of people that were not Jewish people. So again, he lies, he deceives him, and the king starts to believe him. Now, now remember this, okay? This is David. A couple weeks ago, he we talked about the story of he's in the Saul or in the cave with Saul, and he would not touch God's anointed king. But now he lies, joins forces, links up, he's doing life with the enemy, he's deceiving them. I mean, we would say it started with the unwise decision at the beginning that led to many simple choices afterwards. 
with all this, again, he's created the impression that he's on King Achish's side. And I just want to throw this out there, a little side note from the message today, what we're really talking about. Um, if you make a decision in life only for the benefit of you, like David, the only reason why he went up to Gath and, and is hanging out with him is only because he wanted protection. If the only benefit, again, is yourself, it's probably not the right choice to make. Now, David, he's in for something, though. He's, he's in for something really tough. He's been put in the position of leading his people with the enemy to assemble, ready for this, and to go up and to fight against King Saul up in Jezreel. We'd say this, he's between a rock and a hard place. Now, we said the Buckeyes won earlier, which is a great thing. Let's just, let's just, let's just say this happened yesterday, okay? Let's say that uh, hour before the game, Typically, athletes are on the field. They're getting stretches. Coaches are coming around, giving encouraging words. Let's just say this. Coach Ryan Day, he's not out there. They're wondering, hey, where's he at? Let's say five minutes before the game. Ryan Day, he's not there. I mean, they got his coaching headset. They're waiting on the Buckeye sideline, and he's nowhere to be found. And let's say with one minute remaining, he steps on the field in all white in the front of his sweatshirt, He's got etched on Penn State, Nittany Lions. And he goes over. James Franklin's nowhere to be found. He picks up the coaching headset, puts it on, and starts to call the game for Penn State. Now, I'm just throwing this out there. That dude's not getting out of there alive, right? He's dying. It ain't, and it's just, just saying what it is, all right? He's not getting out of there alive. I mean, we say it's absurd. That's, that's crazy. That, okay, that would never happen. Okay, just throwing this out there in a way bigger deal, people's lives are gonna be lost in this battle. This is what David does to his own people, or he's getting ready to do. He's gonna link up with them. I mean, that's crazy. And this is what happens as they gather for battle. The Philistines, they brought all their military units together at Aphek, while Israel was camped by the spring of Jezreel. As the Philistine leaders, they were passing in review with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were passing in review behind them with Achish. Then the Philistine commanders asked, hey, hold on, uh, what are these Hebrews doing here? Achish answered the Philistine commander. So this is Achish, again, gullible dude. Hey, man, that's, that's David, servant of King Saul of Israel. He has been with me a considerable period of time. From the day he defected until today, I found no fault with him. The Philistine commanders, however, <laughs> as you can imagine, they were enraged with Achish, and told him, man, send that man back and let him return to the place that you assigned him. He must not go down with us in the battle only to become our adversary during the battle. What better way could he ingratiate himself with his master than with the heads of our men? Isn't this the David they sang about dancing uh, during their dancing in the streets? Saul has killed his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands, so the Philistines, these kings, they gather one together. They're getting ready to go to battle at Aphek. Let's go ahead. Let's pull that map up real quick. So they're up here at Aphek, and they're getting ready to go northeast about 40 miles to a town called Jezreel. And that's where King Saul and all of his dudes are at. And they're going to go fight him there. They're going to go to battle. Now, in Aphek, essentially what's happening here is uh, it's, a, it's a, you know, a battle speech, a battle cry. It's, he's prepping the guys. He's getting them ready. Hey, 
We're going to go take out King Saul and all, the, all of his dudes. And uh, we want to make sure you got all the right gear on. You got your swords, you got your spears, you got your arrows, you got your helmet, you're set, ready to go. And he notices that they notice at the back, right behind King Achish, they notice David and his 600 guys with him. Now, Achish, <laughs> they're probably thinking this, hey man, like uh, I, I get that. Uh, he's been good to you through all these years. I, I get that, you know, he's, he's never done anything wrong to you, apparently. Uh, but what if he turns on us and he, he joins back with Saul? I mean, they're probably thinking, like, that's what we would probably do. I mean, if, if our brothers were fighting and an enemy came in, I mean, that, what's stopping him from doing that? And then we're going to be done for. And, and then they said this. I mean, this is the same guy. Let's think about this, Akish. This is the same guy that the women chanted in the streets, Saul's killed us thousands. And David, his tens of thousands. Achish, man, do you know who those tens of thousands of people were? They're Philistines. They're our people. And so after this, they, out, you know, they outvote King Achish on, on letting David go to war with them. And so David and his men, or I'm sorry, King Achish tells David and his men, hey, man, um, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, you cannot... You can't hang out with us. You can't go to battle with us. Um, they're worried that you're going to do something to us. And so what we're going to, you know, what I need you to do is pack up and go back to Ziklag, that town that I gave you, that city that I gave you. And so David and his men, they traveled 40 miles back to Aphek, or from Aphek to Ziklag. Now, I'm going to throw this out there. It doesn't say this anywhere in chapter 29, but I'd like to think that David let out a sigh of relief. Um, think about this. I mean, he knows he's going to be anointed to be king after Saul. It's coming soon. How would, it, how would this work? How would he have dealt with this? Killing King Saul and many, Jewish, many of the Jewish men and then becoming his king. I mean, let's get real. Let's talk about it. That would be, that'd be crazy. And so what I think that we see is this. The same thing we saw with Abigail last week. A remarkable lady stops David from doing something terrible and ruining and putting a bad chapter in his life, as we said last week. I think we see God's providence on display. And even these four kings, I mean, these four kings, they were four kings that were enemies of God, wanted nothing to do with God. And they stop David from ruining his dynasty. I mean, again, I, I see God's providence on display. It's at work, even in the details of the story, when people aren't following him or pursuing him. Had David done this, I don't, I don't think, or let's say actually I know that there's no way they would have been okay with him being their king. I mean, the sons and daughters and the wives, these guys that were killed in battle would probably have a huge issue with David being the next king of his people, of God's people. So just think about this. They're kicked out of Aphek. They travel those 50 miles down to Ziklag. This group of guys and David, just, just think about this. Been traveling, we're going to see for a few days. And I'm sure they're excited to get home. They're probably wore out from the trip. They probably just want to sleep in their own bed. They just want to eat their wife's food. They just want to hang out and enjoy a few days of recovery and relaxation. I mean, you guys know how it is. You go on a trip, four or five days out of state. You know, you, you fly there or whatever. And it gets to be like day four or five, and you're like, man, I'm, yeah, this is cool and stuff, but I'm sick and tired of sleeping in this hotel bed. I'm sick and tired of the food they give. Like, I just, I'm ready to, man, I got to ride the airplane then. I'm ready to just go home and just 
relax with my family, eat a good home-cooked meal, and sleep in my own bed. I mean, you guys get that. Now, as they travel the 50 miles, they come over a hill looking over Ziklag, and this is what they see. David and his men, they arrived in Ziklag on the third day. The Amalekites had raided the Negev and attacked and burned Ziklag. They also had kidnapped, kidnapped the women and everyone in it from the youngest to the old, oldest. They had killed no one, but they carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men arrived at the town, they found it burned. Their wives, sons, and daughters had been kidnapped. David and his troops with him, they wept loudly. And then check out this line, and we'll come back to this later, but until they had no strength left to weep. They're exhausted. They're wore out. David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had also been kidnapped. David was in an extremely difficult position, as you can probably imagine, because the troops talked about stoning him, for they were all very bitter over the loss of their sons and daughters. Let's talk a little bit about these guys' response. I mean, these men, they returned to Ziklag, that 50-mile trip. They're wore out, they're exhausted, they're hungry, they're thirsty, they're tired, and they're expecting all the comforts of home. But most importantly, they're expecting to see their wives, sons, and daughters. But what do they find? Family is gone, and the city is burnt to the ground. One of the groups of people that, back in chapter 27, we talked about this at the beginning, the Amalekites had come in, and they had essentially burned the city down, raided everything out, including the wives and kids. And these men, when they see this after traveling, they're so overwhelmed. Some of the toughest warriors on the face of the earth at that time. What does verse number four say they do? They, they wept so much that they had no strength in them. They had nothing, nothing left in them. I mean, these were the guys, think about this that stuck with David through thick and thin. I mean, they were there at different times in need. I mean, and he needed some true tough dudes and they were, and they stepped up and they helped David. And right now they're hurt by him. They wanna stone him. They, they, they wanna take him out. They wanna kill him. I mean, can you blame them for being maybe at least somewhat upset? I mean, let's just think about this. How much did they sacrificed for this guy? I mean, they sacrificed time with their family, their friends. They probably sacrificed careers and jobs. All to do what? To follow their next king. And it probably just came full circle with them. They're like, man, we've, we've been on the run for years. <laughs> now we come back to this. Now what, what good is that we followed David? We protected and defended him, our leader. Why? It's bad on them, but let's get real. Let's talk about David. His own trusted men. They turn on him. He not only, like his man, lost his home in the city, but he lost his family, he's mourning in that. He has, think about this, he has nothing. Everything's gone. He can't go to anyone. <laughs> the Philistines, they booted him out. Can't go with them. Remember, King Saul, he can't link up with him because uh, him and all of his guys, they see him, they're gonna kill him. And now his closest companions, they turn on him. And then on top of all that, it says that they wanna stone him or they want to kill him. I think we all can understand this. David would say this. He's, he's, he's at the lowest point of his life up until now. We all get that he messed up, and so some of these consequences 
uh, are a result of, of you know, his sin and how he's messed up. And maybe here he realizes, man, I, I've been on the run from Saul and man, I've not trusted in God for 16 months. It's been 16 months I linked up with the enemy and he's starting to feel it. And again, it all started back in chapter 27, verse number one, where he simply just thought, and God can't take care of me. God can't protect me. So what is he gonna do next? Will he go somewhere else for his strength? Will he find another group of people? Maybe not the Philistines or the Israelites. He's gonna find someone else to join up with. What's David's next move? Let me ask you that same question. What's your next move? Maybe you can understand where David's coming from, living the consequence of your sin. Like you made an unwise choice. It led you to the doorstep of sin and you maybe have walked through that and now you're living in the results, the consequences of them. And you get it. Or, or maybe just life and circumstances of life have hit you so hard, something's happened to you. The bad report from the doctor or something going on in the family or something going on at home. Friends, whatever, life. And you feel like David, man. You feel like you are completely wrecked. You feel like you are knocked down and out. You feel like your world's dark right now and there's no hope. What's your next move? See, in this dark moment, in the lowest point of David's life up until now, it's what he does. David found strength in the Lord his God. David found strength in the Lord his God. Think about this. David's life, it's been wrecked. He's lost everything. Everything's gone. It's lost, man. And he does something right here that reminds us why he is known as the man after God's own heart. I like what some other versions of the Bible say. They actually say that David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, my, my question to that is this. I love it. That's great. But what does that exactly mean? Because I, I agree with it and it, it's encouraging, but what does that mean? See, I, I like to think that it means, it means this. In this moment, he remembers back to that time that he stood before a guy that was nine foot, six inches tall, and that statistically speaking, he had no shot to beat. He was a teenager. But in that moment, he chooses to do what? To trust in God and God delivers. He remembers back to those times where God has been faithful in the past. He remembers back the time that he was just doing something that I think most of us would say, that's just a normal part of a job, protecting a sheep. He defends the sheep when a lion bear comes in and he chooses to trust in God. Again, statistically speaking, there's no way he could kill a bear, right? A lion, it, can't, it won't happen. It can't happen. He chooses to trust in God and God delivers. Or how about the time, this is great, when his own dad didn't even think that he would be king. We talked about that, I think like week, week one or two. Samuel came and was gonna anoint one of his sons Jesse, one of the sons of Jesse to be, again, the next king. And he goes through all the different sons and his own dad's like, oh yeah, he's out in the pasture taking care of the sheep, but it's not gonna be, it's probably not gonna be him. But what happens, he comes in, he gets anointed and he trusts God that he is gonna walk into this position. And so maybe he remembers that and that God, man, the God of promises, he's gonna be, he's been faithful, man, he's gonna be faithful. And so he finds strength in that. 
He strengthened himself in God by remembering the promises of God. Life is wrecked. And what's interesting about this is the 16 months that he's hanging out with the Philistines, doing the Philistine way stuff. Those 16 months that he's there, you know, David is known as being a musician. And he wrote many psalms, different, you know, different courses and different psalms that are prayers. He wrote those all throughout his life. But what we don't have a record of in that 16 months is him ever writing a psalm. But we do have historical evidence that in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse number six, when David found strength in the Lord his God for the first time in, in who knows how long, at least 16 months, he picks his pen up and he starts to write down the words of Psalm 25. Now, before I read this, I just want to, I know I've said a lot this morning, but I just want to remind you, he's alone. He feels like life has wrecked him completely. He knows that he's messed up. And this is his response. All the Lord's ways, they show faithful love and truth to those who keep his covenant and decrees. Lord, for the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity or my sins, for it is immense. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am alone and afflicted. The distresses of my heart increase. Bring me out of my sufferings. And you feel like you messed up like David? Feeling like the weight of your sin it's come full circle and now you're living in the consequences of those. And my question is, what I've already asked you, what's your next move? Maybe you're at your lowest point in life and it's not because of a sin. Things have just happened in life, I, whatever they may be. Your life is wrecked right now just because of things of life, circumstances of life, things that have happened to you. It feels like life has thrown everything it possibly can at you plus a few more things. See, I think sometimes we can focus so much on those things, focus on the negative, whether it's the sin and we think, man, we got to get our heart right first for coming to Jesus. Or, or maybe, it, maybe it's all these different things in life have happened. And I just got to, AJ, before coming back to Jesus, man, and come back to God, I just got to make sure, um, man, I got to make sure like life is good for a little while. That's just not true. What's your next move? You feel like life is wrecked? Man, what's your next move? Another way to say it would be this. When you don't know what to do, do the right thing next. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. And so what does that look like? Hey, remember his promises to you. Remember his promises to you. Remember how he's been faithful to you. And remember the day that you gave your life to Jesus, how and, and what he saved you from. That's what David does here. He remembers God's faithfulness and his promises to him. And the story goes on. It says this. David asked the Lord, hey, should I go pursue these, these raiders, these Amalekites, should I go? Will I overthrow them? And the Lord replied to him, pursue them, for you will certainly overtake them and rescue the people. See, we know God wants David to come back to him because, well, that's God's will. He wants us to be in a relationship with him. And David, God answers David immediately here. It's like God is looking down on, on little David and the dumb mistakes that he made, and he's going, I got you. I, I, I've got you. I mean, come back to me. He's looking down and he's, I mean, God's excited about this. Sure, David messed up all, you know, a gold back all, all the way, maybe that unwise decision back in verse number one, chapter 27. But here things are different. The man of God's own heart, he strengthens himself in God and remembers who God is. God doesn't delay his answer. He answers immediately with really, we could say that verse says one word, go. The story goes on, it says this. 
Verse number nine. So David and the 600 men with him went. So David and his dudes, they go down and they are going to take out the Amalekites. Now, I caught this in my study this week, and I'll be honest, I've read this story many times. I've studied it. I've, I've taught in this passage many times, but I found something out that I've never found before. So we, we know this. Verse number six says that David found strength. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God, back in verse number six. He remembered how God was faithful to him, and not just to him, but also to his people in the past. But now something different's happened. What God says, well, we're going to say it like this, God's words gives David the strength to go fight the Amalekites and go rescue their families. See, remember this, they had traveled 50 miles. Verse number four, from, from Aphek all the way down to Ziklag. And remember, verse number four told us that they had no, none of the dudes, David, none of them, they had none of them had strength left to do anything. I mean, they were so exhausted from weeping, from crying, they couldn't shed any more tears. They were completely exhausted, had no energy, no strength in them. And I just find this pretty remarkable that David, he got them, think about this, from being completely exhausted and also wanting to stone him to death to now following him to go take out the Amalekites. See, David's strength to go fight the battle didn't come from him, it came from God's word. See, he didn't, another thing too, he didn't just keep that for himself. He was strengthened by God's words, what was told to him. And then he decides, the people that he's leading over, to share that with them. And so it doesn't only strengthen David to go fight the battle, but God's word strengthened these 600 dudes to go fight the battle. Physically speaking, they were exhausted. It wasn't their warrior mentality that they carried themselves in to the Amalekites and wrecked them. It wasn't their physical strength. Though these guys were mentally tough and physically strong, that's, that's not how. Their strength to do, their strength to take out the Amalekites and go rescue their family came from God's words. I mean, how has God's word ever strengthened you? I mean, you guys have been there before. I mean, I hope it's been like this week that God's word has strengthened you. You can probably point back to the time of your life that life felt overwhelming, or maybe it was the day that you gave your life to Jesus. Or maybe for some reason life's happened and you just feel alone right now. Man, God's word packs all kinds of promises and truth that can strengthen us to face every day and to face that thing that we're going through. Maybe a brother, sister, and Jesus, man, they, they shared a verse that you're going through something and they shared verses or passages or Bible stories with you and that encouraged you, that strengthened you. Man, that's the power of God's word. It can give us strength. A few examples I'm just gonna run through really quickly here that we as believers, we have from the scripture. God's word, it is our strength that we should run to in these different circumstances. So let's say this, you're a believer and you're living in sin and you know it and you, you wanna get it right, but you're like, AJ, I just, I, I don't know what to do. My next move, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what it is. How can the word of God strengthen me? Man, if you're a believer, 1 John 1, 9 tells us this. If you confess your sins, he that is God is faithful and righteous to forgive your sins and to cleanse you or us from all unrighteousness. See, the promise is verse that strengthens us by showing that regardless of what we've done, God's forgiveness and grace is always greater. If you're a believer and you have the promise that, you know, you know you have the promise that when you feel alone and you feel like you're on an island, maybe you don't even feel like you have anyone you can be completely honest with because life is so bad right now. 
The Bible says this in Deuteronomy 31 and verse number six. A reminder, hey, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who will go with you. Man, when you're alone, God's gonna be there and he will not leave you or abandon you. Maybe you just wanna give up. Maybe you've done the Christian, you feel like, man, I've done this Christian thing too long. AJ, I, I, at work, I'm persecuted, whatever. I made fun of being a Christian. I, I'm just, AJ, I'm just sick and tired of it. I think I'm just gonna give up on God. I'm done with God. I'll give you a word of encouragement. Again, that can strengthen you. 2 Timothy 4, 7, 8 says this, I have fought the good fight, famous verse. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. There's reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. That's us. That's believers. We have a promise there. We have, we have strength that we can draw from that. Man, fight the good fight. Finish the race like Paul reminds Timothy. And one of the greatest examples, really we'd say in all the scripture that we have of, of being strengthened by God's word is Jesus in the wilderness. When Satan comes to him, remember he, he tempts him. Satan's doing, or Jesus is doing a, a, a fast. He spends 40 days out there. Satan comes to him at different times and tempts him. But one of those times he, he tempts him and tries to get him to, uh, to turn these stones into bread. And how does he respond to, to Satan's attack? He uses... He uses the word to strengthen him, but he also uses it as a defense. And this is what he says to Satan, a direct quote actually from Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three. It is written, man must not live on bread alone, but ready, here it is, on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, in our weak moments, and like David, we too can draw strength from God's word. That's what Jesus reminds us, Matthew 4, 4. God's word is strong, it's powerful. So what are you going through this morning? We're done, we're wrapping up. What are you going through this morning? Know that, man, whatever it is, you've got a choice to make next. And so my, my question to you is, with that, I, I don't know, circumstances going on in life, with maybe you're understanding the, the weight of your sin and you're living those consequences, what's your next move? I mean, what, what's your next move? Hurt, upset, bothered by your sin, struggling, feel knocked down and you can't get back up? What's your next move? Maybe, just maybe, do what the man who's known as a great leader, this man named David did, the man that's known for God's own heart. Maybe your next move is this. Maybe like David and remember how God's been faithful to you. Or maybe, like David as well and his 600 dudes, be strengthened by the truth of God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for letting us dig into your word today. Thank you for the life of David, the story of David. God, that packs so much truth. And I think what we're finding out is this, that David, a great guy, great leader, but God, he messes up multiple times. And if we're honest, every single person in here, all three services, we're messed up too. But God, our response to where we're at, this message this morning, God tells us a lot about who we are. David, known as that man of God's own heart, God, he did a couple things. God, he strengthened himself in you. God, by remembering your faithfulness and how you've been faithful to him in the past, and then he trusted in the strength of the word. The word strengthened him to go on. And maybe you're a believer in here and you're struggling in a sin. The consequence of that, 
As we're praying, man, maybe you can do this right now, but you're only one move away from coming back to God. That's it. David realized that. Maybe your life is completely again, it's a wreck. Everything's crashed down. And remember, you're only one move away. Remember how God's been faithful. And I pray you'd help us to remember how you've been faithful. God, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you, I pray that they've never given their life to you, they've never understood their sin, and that you went to the cross for them. I pray that, God, today, their next move that they would do or they would make, we, they would put their faith in what you did on the cross for their sin debt. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.